right, guys. Welcome to episode three of the cast of Ka. Rachel is joining me today, and we do this cast every week, or every two weeks probably, to talk about all things Stephen King and the Stephen King universe, and to bring that all back around to the awesome Dark Tower series that we are both very interested in revisiting because it's been what 10 years since rachel and i rachel 10 years yeah sun, right? about 10 years since i mean since maybe even longer since Possibly. the first book like well, 15 20 years i'm old and so we try to roll <laughs> through these in a way that uh you guys can follow along enjoy the book and enjoy sort of an overview if you're too lazy to read the book or you just want to hear somebody talk about <laughs> the book before the movie comes out now rachel before we dive into this week's edition what have you been up to not a whole lot. Mm, I'm planning a vacation, my first vacation in many, many years. I'm actually going to be rem- sort of in your neck of the woods. I'm going to go visit my parents in Oregon. Nice. And we're going to go up to Portland, and then we're going to go to Astoria to see the Goonies stuff. And oh, it's so a- sad. The uh, Goonies house, uh, you can't visit it anymore. You can't? No. Uh, last year, they had a Goonies reunion, and it went sideways, and the owners got uh, really upset. You can go like up to the edge but you can't go see the house i think they built a fence and everything what yeah oh, that's a, so. i mean i guess it would suck if you live in the goonies house but yep. i want to go out there and do the truffle shuffle but they do have uh the short circuit house oh i didn't even realize the short circuit house is there yeah the, the uh, short circuit house is is there in the middle of astoria uh there's also some really beautiful ocean views as well as uh the cape of disappointment Oh, <laughs> it's on the Washington side. If you get a chance to go to that, it's a, a giant jetty that goes out into the ocean and has the uh, sound on the opposite side. It's a very beautiful sort of uh, bleak. Uh, Lewis and Clark is there going through that area named each one of the different spots. Something really sad. It's like uh, the disappointing nook and the, the unfortunate Whoa. corner. And then it's like, you know, the Cape of Disappointment. You, you know, what wow. the hell? They, I think they were expecting to find something cooler than what they found, and so they got to the very end of their trip, and they're just like, oh, this and it was sucks. just a beautiful ocean? Yeah, this, and we have this in, on the East Coast. What do we even need this for? <laughs> oh, my God. I, mostly I just want to drink, and I want to eat Tillamook cheese, ah, and, nice. <laughs> and just like we're going to stay in this um, – Mace, there's like a Mesa, Masonic Hall that they've turned into a hotel. Have you uh, heard about this? Yes, this is um, that's part of the McMinimus group. Those guys yeah. do some really awesome stuff with old buildings and turn them into hotels and so on. So we're gonna go there and like you know try to you know national treasure it and find the secret that's on the back of the whatever and discover the mystery of the Masons. Well, on my <laughs> end, guys, uh, it's yeah, been, been extremely hot out here in Portland. Uh, Un- unseasonably so. Uh, we've been hitting 90s. So I've been hiding out inside an air-conditioned room. We just installed another uh, ductless air conditioner to keep the house cold. So uh, be prepared, Rachel, for warm weather and not that yeah. rainy, stormy business that you always hear about in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> well, other than that, I, I think uh, – are you ready to dive into uh, yeah. this episode's synopsis? Yeah. Well, uh, so here's my plan for this week. So we're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Chapter 2 of The Gunslinger, The Way Station. Okay. And then I think you're going to give us – before we start that, you're going to give us another lesson about how to talk like a mid-worlder, right? 
<laughs> I'll, I'll take that laugh as a yes. After that, we can throw up the spoiler wall and talk about connections to the Stephen King universe that came up in this chapter. And then we can close out the show with a little bit of news. This has been a really slow couple of weeks regarding the movie so i ended up taking a super deep dive into the internet and down the dark tower rabbit hole and like there is a literal rabbit hole in the in the news this week <laughs> so i'm not kidding that's the tease for if you can stay past the spoiler before warning. the show rachel was actually giddy telling me about how excited she was about the news I, am, I know i'm a huge nerd but this is the kind of stuff that i get super excited about and i kind of stumbled on it in my re- like trying to find out stuff it was actually found i found it doing movie news and it, I kind of went down a weird path and found something cool. So we'll talk about that after after the synopsis. But first, let's do the high speech. So we've got yeah. two <laughs> things today to throw at you guys. Uh, the first one is Hoken. And uh, this is the actually the act of hypnotization. And in, in this, there's a scene that we'll describe soon as we go through the synopsis where Roland actually hypnotizes somebody by spinning a bullet casing in his hand and you know kind of uh, uh being I don't know, sort of mystic i suppose would be the way to describe it and yeah. it's a really interesting scene so if you need to hypnotize someone you use some hokin on them <laughs> now the other thing that was interesting and, and i didn't mention this before but they've kind of referenced it a few times uh, the true thread uh, the true thread when they're talking about uh, um animals or creatures or what have you uh before i mentioned threaded stock well, the threaded stock was describing kind of iffy meat. Well, in this case, uh, they used the term true thread was long lost to describe these rather vicarious spiders <laughs> running around. And, and, you know, when the, when they get into that, it's like some of these spiders have way too many legs. They have eye stalks as opposed to just regular eyes. Oh, I'm in a barf. <laughs> and various other strange uh, things that uh, that take a spider and drift it off into this sort of mutated land. So in the future, if you're describing a Chernobyl fish, you could <laughs> describe it as the true thread is long lost, which sounds much better than a radioactive fish. <laughs> oh, man. Is there anything wor- like worse than a mutated spider? Like, I, oh, I don't know. Spiders oh, don't bother me as, as much as uh, some people. My wife screams and I have to go in and, you know, pick the poor guy up and throw him out the window. But uh, you oh, you're a catch and release guy. Well, yeah. I require murder. Bugs <laughs> are part of the, the chain. And if they're not bothering me, I don't want to bother them because. You know what? If there weren't spiders, there would be gnats. And if there weren't gnats, there'd be flies and, you know, all these other things. So uh, you just kind of got to let the circle of life continue. I have a like, you're allowed to be in nature rule. But if you come into my home, it's a, you know, like that's a capital crime. So (laughs) there are a few creatures that I have it out for uh, pigeons and prairie dogs. But other than that, uh, prairie dogs? Uh, they they spread the plague, Rachel. They do? Do yes. they have like panta um, no, virus or something? They literally can carry the bubonic plague and they're oh. a creature that can carry it without being infected. 
So on that note, let's uh, we're, we're talking about desert areas. I think it's yeah. time to roll into the synopsis. So as we roll into the synopsis, the first thing you want to think about, close your eyes, and here is the poem. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. There is no, or there is joy and also pain, but the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. And then it continues on. I, I think I actually copied more of this than what's actually in the book because it's used later on. But the, the last bit of this poem is we walk in love, but we fly in chains, and the plains in Spain fall mainly in the rain. And then Roland stops for a second as he recites the last bit of this poem, and he says, I'm not really sure what that last line means. And that's with reference to the plains in Spain fall mainly in the rain. Because Roland, of course, as a, a, a cowboy who's grown up in like a mid-world civilization doesn't know about planes or, or flying yeah. items. So It's like the Jabberwocky of mid-world. Exactly. And it, it felt really interesting when they, they start this off uh, with that poem. And at first I was like, ah, another stupid Stephen King poem. And then <laughs> I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, those they like they try to talk about, you know, mixing of of worlds and so on. And, and this is sort of like and the, the world moving on. And this is sort of like leftover bits from those other eras and times when things were a lot better. So mm -hmm. we find Roland walking through the desert. Uh, he is he is left the 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 area that he was at before with the guy, and he, he doesn't have his donkey anymore. And he's sort of run out of water, and heat exhaustion is, is hitting Ooh. him. And he he's he's kind of delirious, and he 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 walks into an area, and he thinks he sees the man in black, and he's about to to draw his gun. And he mentions, like, wait a minute, the man in black must have shrunk because this guy is not <laughs> looking as tall or as, as predominant as he used to be. And then before he can react, he just basically keels over and uh, he passes out. And we wake up to a, a water and, uh, you know, something that he's really surprised about. And we are introduced to a boy. Uh, the boy's name is Jake Chambers. And Jake uh, decided, as opposed to uh, murdering Roland uh, outright in his <laughs> sleep, to uh, revive him by giving him water. He provides him with a cup, and Roland kind of explains that uh, he's, you know, he's uh, um, dehydrated. He's not feeling right, and he almost shot the boy. And the boy mentions that he almost killed him, and they kind of have this conversation about uh, <laughs> what to do and you know how they're getting along. And so once Roland kind of gets back into shape and starts feeling a little bit better, drinks some water and, and figures out the situation of the boy at this way station, the boy explains that he doesn't know how long he's been there. He can only tell him that he's been there for three poops, which, <laughs> which I don't – I was thinking about the measurement of three poops because – guy you know he says a week two maybe three and and jake says well yeah yeah maybe you know and roland's like well which one is it well three poops ago how little does this kid poop that it could have been three weeks i mean he's eating like salty beef jerky maybe <laughs> i don't know it, not it, a lot of pooping i don't <laughs> I just, that one caught me off guard because i mean for me personally like i would say at least once a day <laughs> once every other day at the at the longest i mean i don't i don't think i could last an entire week without going number two but jake it could be three weeks guys so <laughs> yeah, magical anus here um uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so Jake and Roland, they kind of talk, and, and uh, Roland starts to get kind of confused by Jake's story. Jake is is not really coherent, and he's mentioning yeah. things that Roland isn't familiar with. Like he says channels, and, and Roland's like, what's a channel? You know, And uh, he mentions some other stuff that are a little confusing. A TV. A TV, exactly. And so – Roland decides to t- hypnotize him. And Rachel, I'm going to throw this over to you now. Uh, he hypnotizes him, and what happens next? Well, b- really quickly, I just want to quickly step back and, oh, and run over something. No, 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 no. I just I think it's worth kind of noting that you know the description of of Roland and the state of Roland when this whole chapter starts, where he's just like. You know, he's basically beef jerky himself, just delirious. And there's this whole thing about he when he finally collapses and and the, his blood like soaks instantly into the dry deadpan. And it just sort of sets up this place that's like out in the middle of nowhere, that's disconnected from time. That's just this one little tiny oasis in like physical, but also just sort of like this mental wasteland where he happens upon this kid. And like the like the little oasis itself is like this this total unexpected out of place kid is just randomly in this town ta- in this little way station. There's no way that he could have got there in any sort of normal sort of way. He just kind of appears out of the desert, like this oasis and Roland strikes up this friendship with him right away. Well, and the oasis itself actually is sort of a weird thing because at first, as you read this, you think it's more of like just a, an old house and a, a barn and some things like that. But then it actually dives into this almost like mechanical machinery, you know, yeah. like a medical, medical, medical mechanica type of thing where it's like, Oh, what's going on here? Like they've got uh, uh, pumps and like how far do they have to drill into the ground and, and, and all these other things for the, this kid to have water out in the desert. Did this, uh, and now again, this is crossing over into my other geek things. This, part totally made me think of something in like fallout three where you would find just sort of this random shack but then there was like another layer underground that we'll get into i'm getting ahead of myself but even with the water that like what appears to just be this isolated thing actually has this whole backstory and this other level to it yeah and i just i for the same reason i love something like fallout i love the descriptions of just this weird wasteland well and there's a great there's a great description of this area where he's like you know obviously there's no power here and that the machines must right. be running on a, a nuclear slug left over from the time before, you know, and it's and it's like those descriptions like he doesn't know what a plane is. Well, I feel like this is the first time we kind of get a sense of like the weird technology that sort yeah. of exists up until this point. It's been very like Western fantasy. And now we're really starting to get some of the sci-fi. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like this is the first hint of that we get right yeah in the the rest of the the start of the story there isn't really any really technical technological things going on i mean they describe like some weird stuff and they vaguely uh reference you know the mythic city of lud but they don't really uh, talk about mechanical devices or anything and and then this all of a sudden you're dropping you know nuclear power sources you're uh, talking uh major pumps and motors that go deep into the earth and the drilling and all the other things that would have to accomplish. And Roland actually, you know, as he's describing these things, it sort of sounds like he's familiar with them, but he's only yeah. familiar with some of them. So it's like, you know, he must have been in an area where these machines were still either active or semi-active. Mm-hmm. And you get some more description of 
that as we move forward and we do the rolling flashback, yeah. but we'll save that for yeah. when we get to that point. So Jake is, is kind well, of yeah. describing some weird stuff. And well, yeah, so Roland hypnotizes him absolutely, and gets Jake's backstory where he describes a city that we as, you know, readers know he's talking about New York. Um, you know, he has this sort of sort of sad, lonely life with his parents who are who are he talks about them being professionals and, they're, you know, doing a little coke here and there and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of neglect <laughs> some Coca-Cola. Yes, it's kind of. A little bit of like an isolated, neglected kid. His friend is the nanny uh, or the housekeeper. And then, but one day, basically on his way to school, uh, he's going across the street and he gets pushed by the man in black, basically into traffic where he's crushed by a car. And he has a memory of dying while the man in black standing over him, claiming to be a priest, gives him the act of contrition. And then... The next thing he knows, he found himself at this way station, basically. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because that's a really uh, powerful description of his parents. When they're talking about professionals, he doesn't just say that his parents are professionals. He goes into this long diatribe about every person that he is introduced to or spends time with is a professional. And, uh, you know, you have professional teachers, you have professional nannies, you have professional uh, trainers, you have his parents who are both professionals. And there's a really great line in here where Stephen King writes something like, uh, uh, he doesn't realize it, but the professionalism is worn off on him and he goes about his life as a professional himself and will soon hate himself for it. And it's like, (laughs) wow. Like the seeds of self-hatred have been planted. It's just, that sounds so bad. And then, you know, he's even describing like Jake's interaction with girls who are starting to notice him. And, you know, while most boys are shy, Jake signs silently analyzes their thoughts and tries to determine what makes them tick. You know, it's like, what kind of kid is this? You know, he is an old soul for sure. Exactly. And then one of my favorite parts and uh, Rachel, I don't know if you enjoy this or not, but when they run Jake over, you know, there's this whole long thing where he's like, I wanted to make sure my nails were good. Like, how bad did I skin my knee? Like, I really must yeah. have skinned my knee. I can taste my own vomit and feces in my mouth. And, you know. Uh, it's this very disconnected intellectual experience that he's having. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, yeah, it's like his last thoughts. He's, like, looking at his hands and how he never chewed his nails. Yeah. And you're like, <sighs> kid, you know, like, you're worried about skinning your knee and your backpack and whether your nails – are in good shape and, you know, just been run over and smashed by this thing. And then, you know, this guy that, you know, pushed you into traffic is wandering up to check on you as you die. It's just a strange, strange scene. Yeah, definitely. So but cool, but really cool. Yeah, really cool. So then <laughs> at the end, this hypnotization, uh, Roland asks Jake if he wants to remember this. And, and Jake says something to the line of, are you kidding me? I could taste my own shit. Like, <laughs> I don't want to remember that. And so Roland says, you know, he says a few things and, and snaps his finger. And, uh, and the, at, at the last line before they kind of quit this hypnotization scene, uh, Roland, uh, you know, uh, says something to the kid and the kid says, Shh, I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, like that's it. And I thought that was a, like a great comic relief, and it's kind of interesting yeah. to Roland because you you get a little bit of Roland sort of um, 
rolling around this idea of the kid's description and whether the kid is lying about where he came from and then mm-hmm. Roland sort of trying to figure out the motives of this kid and, and what what is going on with him and uh, to, to me I think he also is like realizing that this kid is not here by accident that he was he's put been there put in, yeah, he's been put in his path by the man in black. And so someone who just did not totally escape the trap that he just had behind him, you know, a few days previously, I think it's probably, you know, I mean, this is something that, that we get throughout the chapters. It's weighing on his mind that he's basically like put himself back in potentially the worst trap he could be in, which is a love trap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then there's actually it, – it's coming up, but I'll, I'll throw that in there when we get to it. The, um, sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm getting no, ahead of myself. No problem. <laughs> you got me thinking about that too now. So uh, then Roland kind of quizzes the kid and wants to know what's going on and when the man in black came through and you know how, how they interacted. And Jake basically tells him like he hid while the man in black came through. And he probably would have hid from Roland, too, if he hadn't been asleep at the time Roland had sort of come into the area. And the man in black, the, what the cassock, is that the name that he uses yeah, to describe? Yeah, cassock is, yeah, it's like a priest's garb, basically. It's like, you know, like a big robe kind of thing. I was going to throw up. that into the uh, words, but I'm like, no, wait a minute, that's an actual word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he describes him as wearing a cassock and, uh, and a hood, and um, the man in black kind of disturbed the kid. And so the kid stayed away from him, and Jake sort of describes him as uh, – I don't think he ate or drank or anything. He just stayed there and then... He didn't even sleep. Yeah, he just stayed there for a little bit and then continued on forward. So it, it was, it's sort of interesting that uh, Jake has a different experience with him there than in the city when they're sort of describing the same guy. And I, I don't know if that's supposed to mean something right here or not. I sort of... A part of me thought that that was something that I should remember and, and try and figure out where they're going with it but yeah i almost feel like because you know jake doesn't have full memories of what happened to him and he's very unclear about how long he's been there and he's very unclear about how he got there i almost feel like some of that is false memory maybe Uh like he he doesn't he's like trying to puzzle out what happened to him and like the guy was there when he was there and so the way he's kind of put that together is that you know the guy showed up I, i don't know this is also where we get to the description of what, NCP. I think that's what you put in the show notes. Yeah, the uh, North Central Positronics. Thank you. Thank you. I was trying to remember yeah. what the NCP stood for. Uh, and this is the first introduction of yeah. the mythical like uh, company that you'll hear about throughout the oh, Dark yeah. Tower series. And uh, it's interesting that they designed the pump and the motor that we were talking about, kind of c- cybernetic type of thing, you know, like a very advanced technology yeah. compared to uh, what what state the world is in right now. And so keep that, you know, North North Central Positronics, keep that in the back of your head as we continue yep. through this because that will play a, a continually more important role. Now, one of my favorite things in the series uh, is all the all the North Central Positronics stuff because you know it's always it's always good, not good necessarily, but interesting stuff happening anytime you come across something that has to do with that. Well, it's 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 such a sci-fi trope to have like yeah. the the name of the crazy company that you know almost ruined the world mm-hmm. floating about on all these different machines and it, it's been used so many times that i kind of smiled when stephen king throws it in here 
Well, I like that. I mean, this is something that comes in later in the books. This is the first, this is the beginning of it, but there is like a whole corporate aspect to the books later on. And, you know, like these different, like sort of powerful corporations and, and there's some of them are linked and some of them are opposing and, and I don't know. It's just, I love all that stuff. So continuing on with the, the scene here at the, the, the way station, uh, they, they have a, an old house. They describe it as uh, so dried out that they're surprised the porch will support them. And that's where they kind of uh, spend the night is in this old house. And there's a cellar, a root cellar for this. And mm. the part of the explanation of why they go to the root cellar is they describe the, the entire way station as a place that has been baked so strongly by the sun that there aren't any smells left in the place except yeah. for the smell of this this one little uh, uh, small root cellar type of thing. And Jake he knows about the root cellar and he tells Roland that they're almost out of food. They don't have that much uh, stuff or supplies left, uh, especially because he's fed Roland a couple of times now. And so Roland decides to go in there to find more supplies and Jake is pretty scared about this root cellar. So uh, Rachel, describe the root cellar. Oof, it's just like a dark, dank root cellar that smells like rotten food. But in the back, in the very, very back of it, he sees some cans. And oh, oh and the ceiling is covered with the mutant yeah. spiders. I was hoping he'd jump into that. Yeah, oh, yeah. he describes them. I mean, we talked a little bit about them when we were talking about, you know, the true thread. But he, they're like giant gray spiders with like 16 arms. <laughs> oh my God, I'm getting, I'm actually getting chills just thinking about it. This is So you, it, you have all oh. these gross spiders and, and that's why I threw it to Rachel because uh, she was kind of before the show was a little like squeamish <sighs> about the spiders. They really go into deep description. And as Roland's like grabbing food and throwing it up to Jake, uh, he sees a bead of sand that's sort of like the uh, ejecting itself from the back of this old sandstone wall. And and he hears the voice of the now dead girl from Tall that he was uh, uh, sleeping yeah. with at the time. And there's a great line here where he says, uh, take the dead from the dead. And he, he yells <laughs> up to Jake. He says, if I don't come out in two or three hundred seconds, you know, just get out of here. And I, I mean, it's such an arbitrary number, two or three hundred seconds. You know, can, can you actually. Well, he says two and then he read things and he's like, make it three hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's such a strange thing to tell a kid. And so Roland decides, uh, because he's hearing this voice, uh, to reach in there and grab this jawbone. And th this is an important part too because the jawbone – or well, I already spoiled it for you guys. Uh, the, the thing that he reaches in for, the jawbone, is also speaking a prophecy to Roland about mm -hmm. uh, what's to come. And he says, go slow past the drawers, gunslinger. Watch the tahin. Uh, while you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. And mm. and Roland's sort of disturbed by this. He pulls the jaw out, grabs it and puts it in his pocket and then opens up the root cellar to the sun. So hopefully the sun will dry out and kill all these muty spiders inside yeah. of the, the cellar. And it's like capital a, punishment for spiders. It's kind of funny because you know, as as you, he describes this place being baked so 
thoroughly by the sun that has no smell, this like this one bastion of dark grossness yeah. is the only thing that's been able to keep these these creatures alive. And now he's just throwing the door wide open to let it cook and kill all these things. And the last thing is he's leaving uh, the root cellar. He looks up at the boy, and, he, and this is at the point where he says uh, he he fell or I'm falling in love with this kid. Is not yeah not in a a, a sexual way, but in a like this kid you that's know very could be paternal my, way yeah, exactly. And and then the last line of this little section is, um, was there ever a greater trap than love? And yeah. You think about that, and I mean, that's very significant. Like, it, yeah. if you fall fall in love with your pet or your your kid or anything else, you don't want them to to die. You don't want anything bad to happen to them, and it changes the way you think about the world and how you interact with it. Yeah. And from this point. The pace. Well, I think we should oh. we should definitely take a second and talk about that prophecy. Okay, right? go ahead. Okay, so you read it. It was go slow past the drawers, gunslinger. Watch for the tahin while you travel with the the boy. The man in black travels with your soul in, in his pocket. I think that is actually the clearest part of it. That final part, like I think we all kind of get the significance that, like, basically, as long as he's got this kid with him, the man in black has total leverage, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so you've read ahead, so you may understand the significance of more of this prophecy than I do. He tells him to go slow past the drawers, and it's drawers capitalized. Yep. Um, and we know the next book is the drawing of the three. And I, I don't know if if that's what he's referring to is what, like, something that far in the future, or if it's something now. The go slow part, I kind of thought maybe it was, like, slow down, don't catch up to the man in black, like, take your time. No, well, is it okay to to spoil that far ahead, or... I mean, am I on the right track? Like... I would... What I want to say this points to is the the whole uh, portals thing, and I could say that without really, like, exploring anything, because if you think about... Just from a sci-fi perspective, what's a a portal if it's not a a drawer to another world, you know, like... Yeah. And so... I can't go into detail on yeah, that. Yeah, no, but, that's fair. But I feel like that's where this is going is like to that future point. And if you've read the books, guys, go ahead and like go look up what the what I mean by the portals. Uh, we'll get to it eventually. But it's ah! it's such good stuff, and I don't want to jump that far ahead because we're just we're still we're still taking baby steps here. We're still taking baby I'm, steps. And then the thing about the tahin. There's a tahin that is mentioned at the very, very beginning of the book where that's what the Birdman is that's been like yep. kind of hanging around by, you know, Brown Shack or whatever. We looked up what tahin means. It's like a human-animal hybrid. Well, the tahin, the description of tahin in the Gunslinger universe to me is any like walking sort of half-human, half-animal. So if you think about right. clickety-clack, Rachel <laughs> – you know, I'm not click. I'm not saying the term right. You know when they're snapping their, their. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Ah. So if you think about that in the future, okay. that's a very specific to me reference to that particular setting. Okay. 
Interesting. Okay, sorry. We can move on now. I just needed a I just needed a moment to process. Oh no problem. I, I didn't want to dive too deep into the prophecy without spoiling some of the right. things that it's I thought not it covered. Fair. So I, I just kind of whistled by it, but uh, it, it is really interesting. And if you have read some of the other books, uh, I'm sure you'll pick up on what Rachel and I were just sort of referring to in secret speak. <laughs> but guys, we don't want to like uh, dive into future books yes. without finishing the first one. So basically, he falls in love with the boy. And they start traveling together. He, Jake wants to know, like, he's afraid he's going to be abandoned. And Roland says, no, you're coming with me. I'm going to take you with. And they stock up on supplies. They fill up on water. There's even a point where uh, Roland describes the use of water as extravagant. And he's, you know, like, splashing it on his face and, uh, mm. you know, kind of, like, wasting it a little bit. Uh, but they decide to, to travel, uh, to follow the man in black. And he's... Is this the point where they see him like on the cliffs and, you know, jumping ahead and moving faster than mm. it? Or am I going too far into the future? I think that's that's after our after our flashback. I think at this point, basically, uh, it's more just focusing on they're on the trail and Jake is doing a really good job of keeping up with him. Roland's getting to know him. He's a kid that's like pretty stoic and 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 he's like coming to really respect Jake and he gets the sense that Jake really admires and looks up to him and is flattered by the fact that, that he's been taken under his wing. It's really kind of about the forming of the bond between these two characters. And then when at some point when Jake finally breaks down and needs a break, Roland treats him like really like very, he's very nurturing towards him and understanding. And it's a very different Roland from the guy we got to know in Tull that shot a bunch of kids in the back without thinking twice. He definitely is opening up a softer side of Roland, a more vulnerable side of Roland. And I think that's important for character stuff, but I think it also is what allows him to like really indulge and, and dig into his memories in a way that he's been pushing away basically from the start of the book every time he thinks about court or cuthbert or elaine he like or susan delgado he pushes it out of his mind so i don't think it's a coincidence that right after he has this tender moment with jake he finally allows himself to really open up to these memories so this is section eight and at the basically the tail end of this we, we sort of feel like the man in black is slowing down a little bit he's not in his he's not moving as fast as as rolling Right. previously thought and he's allowing it feels like uh, he's allowing a lot of time for jake and roland to kind of hang out together and uh, there's a great line towards the end of this section where he says beware the man who fakes a limp for what will follow and, you know, it's like, and then roland's like he kind of says to himself like i was never really smart enough to think about that but sure would have been nice if uh, cuthbert or or somebody would have been there to like tell a joke or say something funny about this or think deeper mm-hmm. on the subject and this is also uh, right at the very end of this uh roland's kind of like uh, they've they've settled down for the night and they're they're uh, talking about their their new schedule where they're gonna sleep for a little while and then walk and he, he mentions for the first time courts and the first mention of the horn and i i caught this like the i, I went through this like five times and i like the there are four times and the fourth time i i, I skipped it every time i completely missed it he drops the horn into the the equation you're like what i didn't even know that the horn was mentioned this yeah. early in the series and so i we can't tell you too much about the horn yet but this horn is like a keystone and then the entire 
series. It's really important. And it's just breadcrumbs. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just like <laughs> dropped right there. So uh, really interesting. And then right before we transition to where Roland is finally ready to kind of start talking about his uh, childhood and, and some of the friends and so on, he mentions like an eye who closes to disgorge blood. And he's describing like sort of his – the night and how you know terrifying it could be and how it would sort of make you feel uh, uncomfortable. And then we cut – you know the scene cuts to like Roland sees a bright sky and then bam. And he's out there practicing with an eagle and uh, he's got Court and he's got Cuthbert with him. And they're doing some training, right, Rachel? Yep. Yep. They're training. It's gunslinger training, basically. Um, but with David, the mean, the mean ass fucking hawk. Oh, <laughs> and this is great, too. So it, if you don't know anything about uh, hawkery or whatever, you know, whatever the official term would be for uh, hunting with a hawk, uh, you, you keep the hawk blindfolded and on a leash. And to train the hawk properly, you keep doves or another sacrificial bird in a little Aww. cage. And you open falconry. up the falconry. It's yeah, called falconry. falconry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> I, I was trying to remember what that was. So you you let the uh, bird loose, and then when you're ready for the falcon to, to attack the creature that you're training it on, you remove the blindfold, and you're supposed to pull loose the leash so that the bird can fly free. Well, at this point, Cuthbert is is trying to do this, and uh, he he's or he sort of screws up with the hawk. And he lets him loose a little too late, and the hawk sort of stutters and gets, uh, you know, off off kilter before catching his his wind and flying forward. And for this, Court gives him a nice whack across the back of the head and knocks him to the ground. And this is our first introduction to Court as a person. Yeah. Like Court, like at first you're just like, oh, he's with their they're with their trainer, but this guy is like a hard ass grizzled old dude who just you know his job is to beat these kids into shape to make them you know hard uh, tough gunslinger children who will eventually like rule the the land and be in charge of many things now rachel they let the hawk go and you're describing david the hawk as as sort of this uh uh, glassy-eyed. Um, what did they say in this? Something about uh, a, a silent death machine. <laughs> this, yeah, this, I think is the term I coined from here. So, what happens next? Well, um, or should I, I keep mean, t- going with this? You uh, keep going because this is the part where I was kind of like my brain was like. So no. we talked about this before the show. Rachel's <laughs> decided that she's maybe not into some of this uh, old timey. This is uh, the part I struggle with. I I really want the weird. I want the weird Western sci fi stuff, and I'm fine with fantasy. But I I find that I'm not as engaged. So I'm going to let you lead so away. <laughs> David the Hawk flies into the air. He catches this uh, dove, uh, brings it to the down the ground, and starts tearing its flesh out. And as part of the training program for this hawk. You're supposed to kind of give him a little treat and then uh, cover up his eyes and and put him away again. But they're a little slow on it, and the hawk turns and attacks the kid and rips a giant chunk out of his arm. And, you know, 
instead of getting whacked in the head, the the trainer court, he says, you know, the hawk doesn't care about you, kid. You know, he he only cares. Uh, you know, he he doesn't respect you, and he he's like he'll never fear you. Exactly. And so the the whole thing here is like courts like you need to understand that you need to fear the hawk and you need to stay in control of him. And at the same time as this is going on, this exchange, uh, Cuthbert like gets behind uh, uh, court while Roland's, you know, getting lectured about this and starts sticking his tongue out and like being an <laughs> adolescent. And uh, court lets it go and and continues to talk with these kids and like he uh, uh, sort of punishes them a little bit more and he tells them like they're they're gonna have to think about this with no supper and they're gonna have to go to bed hungry for the next couple of nights while they learn their lesson and at the end uh, you know they're they're going back and forth their dialogue and how they've forgotten the face of their father and they're they're doing all these things uh, to apologize <laughs> to him and court's like maybe you shouldn't let your tongue loll from your head you little idiot you know. <laughs> Stop, stop making fun <laughs> of me. Maggots. And, maggots. And this is great too because in this point, like uh, Roland asks, like, well, how, how did you know? And he says, I saw it in the reflection of your eye. And when I we were early on, oh. we were talking about um, in the town of Tall where they uh, they did that thing where the girl tried to sneak up on Roland and he's talking to her dad. And Roland catches her before she comes down on his head with this log. And that's the same – it's basically the same thing as what's going on here where like Roland catches that in the corner of the guy's eye and sees her reflection. And in this scene, Court says, remember, maggot, you know, this is, this is how I saw you. This is how I figured it out. So the two of the boys – I have never put that together. That's great. That's yeah, really cool. When I heard – I got that. I was like, oh, man. So he's using lessons that Court taught him. You know, in the future <laughs> to like stay alive in this like God forsaken world. So the two kids, they're together now and they get sent away with no food. And so Cuthbert says, I got an idea. You know, this guy that isn't really friends with Court, you know, hacks the cook. He'll feed us if we go in there and talk to him nice. And so they sneak off to go to the kitchen where this uh, mammoth cook works. And when I mentioned that you see bits and pieces of technological advancement mm-hmm. in the world, this is one of the scenes where they kind of show some of that off. Uh, the cook works – in a kitchen that has the last remaining six stoves in existence that work. And this guy is in charge of that, and he has, you know, little errand boys running around tending to the soup. He has a lady that's making pies for him in the corner and, you know, doing these other things. And and the the description of the kitchen is this cross between, like, a modern kitchen and almost like a medieval kitchen – all in in one yeah. setting where you know you you walk down these like crummy sets of stairs to like a dirt floor and then you have you know six stoves that are the last stoves in existence still running and this mammoth guy that is mixed between so many different races that you couldn't tell you know where he came from and most people have forgotten even the the mixes that he has in him and he's just that you know, was weird uh, yeah they, <laughs> they really went into detail like north islanders and these other people and you know like but no one knows who they are because the world has moved on and I, I was thinking there would be a payoff on that but there, there was not yeah, there was no payoff on that it's really I mean, was it just trying to give you like a little bit more insight into the geography of this world? I, I, I don't just, know. <laughs> it just seems super weird, right? Yeah, it was... and the and the and also the the terms that they use to describe his ethnicity is a little creepy. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, hmm. Yeah, I don't know where they're going with that. So it was an interesting description at court. So the boys, or not court, excuse me, hacks, they run into hacks and they're like, hey, you know, uh, why don't you feed us? We're hungry, you know, give us something. And he says, all right, boys. He says, I'm not, I'm going to take care of you, but don't you get me in trouble. Yeah. And this- well, you get this sense that the relationship between the hacks and these these guys that's very like indulgent and like he he likes the kids and he'll like let the kids hang around and he's he has the ability to you know talk to kids very be very natural with them and so there is kind of this friendship with that they have with hacks like he's sort of like the benevolent cook that gives them treats well and the description right? they give hacks here is um he, he's he's like a businessman for children and, and a businessman who knows that to close a deal sometimes he has to give give someone a hug you know it's like what you know that, that's a really interesting way of describing like his relationship with these children and then hacks himself describes the kids as regular kids and then he describes the gunslinger kids as kids who, you know, are like a wild animal who could bite you at some point or are just a little bit off or a little bit wrong. And I'm forgetting the words that he uses specifically to describe the gunslinger children, but they're different from regular kids. So, okay, I, I can tell you what I understood to have happened here. I don't, but I don't quite, I don't think I'm getting the nuance of what happened. Like I, I know plot wise, but I don't totally understand what this is about. So after like getting to know uh, hacks and think kind of seeing him as like a relatively friendly um benevolent character if maybe a little business like as you were describing they're like secreted away under the stairs and it turns out that, that is where hacks has gone with this guard to like have sort of a secret palaver yeah um your lessons are paying off see look at already you're changing <laughs> the world dude <laughs> So he overhears them having a conversation about this guy, Farson, or they also call him the good man, right? Isn't it the good man? Yeah, the good man. You got it. Okay. And how they are basically plotting to bring in poisoned meat to poison the town of Taunton. Um, And Hax has agreed to, like, hide it in his his um, pantry, uh, he has some like ambivalence about the fact that like the children of the town are going to be killed. And he's concerned that it'll be a bad death, that they'll be in pain. Um, but they'll ultimately little bellies. Yeah. They're little bellies, but ultimately he decides to do it anyway. Um, and it's this really sort of life changing moment for both Roland and Cuthbert that I think it's like a total loss of innocence that this person that they had really seen as being, like I said, like a benevolent, friendly dude that gave them food, you know, is plotting basically the murder of an entire town. So there's two parts to this. Yeah, uh, one part is like is, is that the the cook himself, like he spent a lot of time with these kids and these kids are part of his life. And so yeah. he has sort of a feeling for him. And when they instruct him and they actually tell the cook to poison the meat, they tell Hacks like we're going to get a shipment of meat in. It will be in your storage. You'll have a short time to poison it and then it will go out. And his first thing is, is uh, the kids. He's concerned about the kids. And the guy says, you know, ask not what you, you know, you can do and do, you know, <laughs> do what you need to do for the good man. And like, he's like, you know, I love the good Jack man. Case than, is asked. I know exactly. And it's like, 
<laughs> what? Wait a second. And the, the cook continues. He's like, you know, he's worried about will the kids die painlessly or will they, you know, be hurting and in pain and crying out when they die from this poisoned meat. And, and he even mentions, you know, like it's a, the strange way to care for the kids. And the, the guard tells him, well, the man in black uh, will care for the world and, and be able to change the world into a better place as soon yeah. as we get rid of these gunslinger kids that okay. are sort I... of the, like the law of the land. And this guy has been like sort of trying to terroristically attack this gunslinger community. And uh-huh. the gunslingers are the things that are stopping him. And so by poisoning all the kids, he's killing off their chances of continuing their line of control over the area, which, oh, which is okay. his way of like taking that entire system down. See, I guess I didn't realize that there – is there like a concentration of gunslinger children in Taunton? Yes. Yeah, so the kids are trained there. And oh, as you mentioned, like – So Cord is one of the main trainers. And then they also mentioned like that these guys aren't the only kids. There's a bunch of different children uh, in this area that are you know getting trained to be gunslingers. And they have stables and the, that the cook cooks for this big community and that uh, they're all there like becoming gunslingers. And the imagine it like in the old days of a, a court where you you know if you had a a castle or whatever your guards your guards children and all your knights all stay within the castle yards and they're trained mm-hmm. to be a knight they're all brought up from from birth to be fighters and warriors and so on and then outside of that area you have your you you know your farms and your pastures and your cows and all that stuff and when you sort of think about the medieval setup that they've got going on with this uh, almost like a, a monarchy type of thing uh, it's it's more like they're in the castle the gunslinger castle and then the the rest of this stuff around them is sort of like their support and what they protect and how they enforce the law and and that's the sort of the description and, and feel that I got out of it now I might be reaching and uh, I might be thinking too hard on on this particular subject but that's what the town feels like to me no that sounds that sounds right I I think my confusion was I did not catch that that was I didn't understand the end goal of just killing the town, but I, I think I missed the fact that it's like a training ground for yeah, kids. and it'd be like getting rid of oh, all the, the knights. Yeah, so you know, you get all, rid of all the knights, and now the king has no power, and then you can just come in and take over his grounds, his castle, his his whatever, his lands, so to speak. So yeah. Roland and Cuthbert, they like you mentioned, Rachel. They're they're changed by this moment, and it's interesting. Yeah. Roland goes back home, and he he tells his father, and his father says, "How do you feel about this?" And Roland says, "It it cuts like the hawk," <laughs> you know, right? And like, and the father kind of laughs, you know, because he he knows his kid has been out hawk training, and that's sort of like an adequate statement. And and at first, you think that Roland is just like this kind of bratty kid that's like, "Yeah, I just did this because I needed to," you know, I wanted to be important, and I wanted to like. Uh, you know, get this guy in trouble for you know disrespecting you, father. And his father's like, right. if, you, if that's how you really feel, uh, obviously you're a petty man, and you will you will not make it as a gunslinger. And the kid's like, well, no, no, I don't like this because because it, it pisses me off that these people I trusted are no longer trustworthy, and it's changed my whole outlook on you know being safe yeah. in these areas and being uh, happy with these sections and. 
and being able to do this. But at the same time, they also start to describe Roland as a person in this section. And they, mm-hmm. they, they sort of say, like, you'll never be smart like these other kids. But that's a good thing because you'll be hard <laughs> and, and angry and you'll be like this little rock that gets in the shoe of people and hurts. You know, it's, it's, they, they kind of describe Roland as, as not being very smart but being very diligent. And, and then – there's this weird scene, and maybe Rachel, you can describe it better than I can. Where he, his, his dad says he's gonna get neck popped. You know, Hacks is gonna get neck popped for this. Yeah. And Roland, like, immediately is like, "Hey, can I watch?" You know, and it's, it's like, well, what, it, what? And then, you know, the dad's like, kind of laughs and says, "Yeah, sure, you can watch." And Roland catches himself because he doesn't want to be too excited about seeing this guy die, but it sort of makes you feel like. Roland's got a screw loose upstairs and he's like kind of a sadistic, weird little kid. Is that, is that what you got from this? I kind of felt like it was the last remnants of his naivete, naivete, because I think up until actually when they go to the hanging, it's not concrete. It's like, yeah, it's not concrete. And he, he has these ideas that have been drilled into his head about, you know, doing things that are right or wrong and justice and all that stuff. And what his father represents is someone that has like been in the real world and understands that the gunslinger's role is not like the white knight. They very much live in the gray. This is my concept of it. Like they, there is nothing um, still, there's nothing naive about a gunslinger. The way that he describes uh, Roland and this whole like uh, a killing and hanging uh, type of thing is, is that uh, did Cuthbert, how did it affect Cuthbert? And Roland says, well, I don't care about that guy. You know, like I don't know, what's, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in his head, and and in in that way, they sort of paint this whole image as a romanticized version of like yeah, what happens in the world, yeah. like, and and then you think at first like uh, uh, justice is going to be done, and, and Roland says, "Hey, father, you know, like once we take care of this guy, is everything going to turn to normal?" And his dad jumps in and like throws this down on him. He's like, "No, kid, you know, we'll kill this guy." And no matter what, at some point in the future, the people will want someone else to be murdered because they'll want to see another death. And, you know, and so it's it like brings it down from this like thing where it's like, oh, well, if we get this one guy, then everything's settled. But no, no, yeah. kid, you know, murder is just part of the world. And we're going to have to continue to to hang these people in front of the crowd, because if I can't find the criminal, they'll find one and make one yeah. for us to hang, you know. Right, like he he takes it a little bit step for like a step further when I'm like in terms of being cynical and saying that not only will there be more people that need their neck popped if there isn't, the people will create they'll like foment yeah. one because like there is just sort of a bloodthirstiness like ingrained in humanity that is not something that's taught in this theoretical world of like knights and good versus evil that the gritty reality is much much more it's much grayer and much darker than what he he thinks he what he thinks you know so roland the last thing before we leave this scene uh, roland is there and he finishes telling his father and his father leaves and roland sort of thinks to himself you know oh my dad he's done with this conversation it's time for sex so he's gonna my dad's gonna go have sex with my mom 
And like, and then it's another weird thing where Roland, like, he's like, I know all the bits and pieces, and I know that they like to do it on a regular basis, but I, I don't really know why. <laughs> you know, like, right? I know the mechanics of it, and I know that they do it, but it, it doesn't really make sense to me that they they are together. And it, it's sort of another strange thing where you're you're kind of realizing that this is probably like what maybe an eight year old. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering if he was like maybe 10, 12 or, you know, kind of Jake's age. Yeah, because I don't be. think he's a teenager. I think he's pretty young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that description of, of sex in general, like, kind of dates, you know, puts him at a certain age where it's like, He's not really into puberty yet, so yeah, he's a little prepubescent in the way yep. that he views sex and how it makes him feel. Because it just he describes it as like it makes him uneasy and oddly guilty. Which yeah. you know there are worse ways to feel about thinking about your parents having sex. <laughs> like, well, it, you're on the right track. <laughs> and it's it's fun too because if you think about that description of Jake and uh, and his dad and his mom, it's like his his mom likes to go to bed with sick people. And like Jake sneaks over and grabs her romantic novels for the you know for the hot parts for the hot parts right <laughs> and like I mean I imagine a world where like that was your excitement was to sneak over and read some like dirty passages out of your mom's romantic novels so yeah. Act before the internet, kids. <laughs> and they give you that—they give you that description of Jake uh, before they give you the description of Roland. And, and yeah. in a way, like part of these two layer on top of each other is sort of a mirror image of each other. And I think that's part of why Roland relates so well to Jake and sort of is falling that's in a good love with his kid. That's a good point. That Jake is sort of a child like kind of very similar to him as a kid. And so that like, they are reflecting each other, like what Roland was like as a child kind of, and what Jake may become as a man. It's not just that though. If you think about the characters in Jake's life and the characters in Roland's life, and while they are completely different time frames, the, the cook hacks is very similar to the lady that refers to Jake as Bama and like hugs him and and, You're right. and takes care of him and like feeds him and makes him sandwiches and and she has sort of this professional like, sandwiches professional sandwiches and she has yeah. a relationship with him that is like closing the deal sort of like they describe hacks where it's like I'll give you a hug because that's part of my job and, and you know and that's the closest that they've ever known uh, happiness or love and the, the same thing with uh, uh, Roland's mom and dad they're sort of these professional knights and professional queens and distant. Also exactly. distant. Yeah. Exactly. And the like court, you know, he's a professional too that takes care of uh of of Roland and like is is not his friend or someone who cares about him. He's someone who's paid to maintain a professional relationship with these children. And you you sort of like see uh, God, that's a good good point. Yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe I'm digging too deep, but that's no, how no, no, I no. felt. Like, I think you're nailing it. I hadn't I had not put it together, and I'm kind of like giving myself a slap on the wrist for not paying <laughs> closer attention to the section because you're totally nailing it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. And I, I think the, that mirror image, like that, kind of tells you like why Roland relates so well to this kid is because even though their life experiences are completely different, they're still almost completely the same. They're and, kindred spirits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we leave this scene here. Um, Roland's dad goes off to, you know, get bonkers with his mom and, and they cut to <laughs> the day that they're going to hang hacks. And yeah. this starts off kind of weird, Rachel. They're, they're going to attend this hanging. And what, what do they give the kids? 
Well, Court gives both of the kids bread to put at the feet of Hacks when he hangs. And I'm looking forward to talking about this because later on, but I, I don't totally, they don't know the significance of it at the, this point. Um, really and I still don't totally. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll jump in again. So cool. they hand bread over to the kids and the kids are kind of confused about it and they don't really understand why they're being handed the bread. And so they watch this and, you know, it describes hacks. He gets led up to the, the top and they ask him, like, do you have any last words? And, uh, and he doesn't really say much. And then at Right before they hang the cook, uh, the cook tries to tell him, like, I I haven't forgotten the face of my father. I'm not guilty. Like, you know, I didn't do it. And as he's about to finish his statement, the hangman uh, who happened to be selected from the Gunslingers Guild, so they they picked one uh, person to to be the the lynchman for this, and it wasn't Roland's dad by just chance, happenstance or whatever. Uh, He's screaming as he falls down, and he doesn't finish his last sentence. And the sentence stops it basically like, I haven't forgotten the face of my father and he's about to say something else. And, you know, Roland is staring at this as the the cook dangles and kicks his legs and dies. And he says to himself, you know, I wonder if he finished the sentence in hell or in heaven, you know, like he, he wants yeah. to know, like, wh- where where does he go that he finishes his sentence? And, and this, again, sort of points to the age where the kid – sort of believes that he's not dead but he's somewhere else now like as a as a person and and he still exists in some other place or location or something like that and i thought that was a really weird way to describe the death of the cook yeah it, it felt strange to me so then court basically says all right guys and you know there's a whole crowd that had gathered for this and a few people they described the crowd as sort of being um not apathetic, but uh, uh, it almost feels like that he sways the crowd a little yeah, bit. Like they like, care a little bit for him, but they still want to see someone swing, and so yeah, they're like everybody like wants to watch it, but they also feel like a little bit bad because uh, the hacks the cook was like sort of a, a, a beloved character in the well, town. <laughs> what I'm wondering is, is it that they're just sort of swayed by the fact that he's like kind of brave when facing death, or is it? Like, is it maybe a sign that everybody is not everybody disagrees with what he's been accused of doing? Like, if there are maybe some followers of the good man well, in the crowd, you never really even get the guard's name, and it sort of feels like the the good man's people have infiltrated uh, right. the the group. And when they describe hacks, one of the things that came to mind for me was sort of the people that you saw in the stand, you know, when they sort of got won over by the whole Vegas life, not mm. all of them were bad people per se. I mean, they did some bad stuff, but some of them, like they went bad because of some other thing that sort of drew, drew them in that direction, as opposed to them like being bad at heart. And, you know, there were some ob- obvious bad people in the stand, but a lot of them were like, well, I made a mistake here, and then I just, you know, I tried to cover up this lie, and that yeah. turned into this other thing, and, like, but before you know it, I have to commit to this this life that I didn't want to be part of. And with Hacks, it's sort of the same way. Like, his description of how he feels about the kids 
and some of these other things that he's concerned with, you know, he's not bloodthirsty. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't ask like, are the kids going to ha- uh, feel pain, or are they going to be sad, or are they going to hurt and and suffer if you were an evil person? Right. But at the same time, like he has to jump back and say, well, I, you know, I'm here for the good man. You know, like I I care for him as much as anyway. I'd go anywhere for him. And it's sort of like he's reconvincing himself that he, you know, he's on this path, and it right. almost feels like the town of Tall is sort of. Uh, not tall, excuse me, the, the town of uh, Fax and uh, uh, Tenton are sort of falling for this sort of the same deal where they they're sort of they're, they they want to be good people. But at the same time, like there's this part where they screwed up or they're like a little bit sinful and it's it's starting to take over their life and, and move into the town in general and like as a cloud. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm guessing like it's sort of like a thing where there's a religious leader who's very charismatic. Nah. And not everybody's living in the castle, you know, becoming a gunslinger. Would you call him like a, a preacher of some kind? Probably, potentially. Would, would that go I mean, good with the good to man? To me, the good yeah. man and and even the name, it Farson, it feels very Reverendy. Yeah. And like I think of the good man, the good book, the the book of good farming from the talisman. I mean, like all of those kind that kind of language all is very evocative of someone that is maybe like some sort of traveling religious guru of some kind. And we get the sense that like this, this guy is going to have some sway. Right. And the way the chapter ends or this section ends, they talk about how it was five, only five years later that city had fallen to Farson yep. and that he, you know, Stephen, Stephen King. <laughs> Roland had become a gunslinger and a matricide. You get the sense that like you're seeing sort of the seeds of his influence in this area and people kind of falling potentially under his spell, whether that's literal or metaphorical, I don't know yet. But um Yeah, and yeah. this this is another time where like it feels like Roland has staved off the men in black, but not enough so to thwart his yeah. his future progress. And I mean that's a You'll you'll sort of feel that way as we continue through this series of books. It's it, there's always a point where you you know he stops him, but he doesn't stop stop him. He just kind of like yeah. delays the inevitable, which is always sort of sad. Now before we leave the scene, yeah. uh, Roland and uh, Cuthbert are both there, and and as Court mentioned earlier, he gave them the bread, and they need to take it up and put it underneath of uh chef's feet yeah and this is an interesting sort of metaphor they already described some birds sort of circling well the birds kind of like flock to this gallows when they get there it's like covered with crows and ravens and stuff and they when they climb up on the gallow to like check it out it's they talk about how it's like covered in bird shit so yep. like this is the, the bird this is like where the birds hang so yeah, well, go sorry, go ahead. And so what they do is they put the bread down, the breadcrumbs down around uh his feet, you know, and he's still dangling, but he's a little bit above the, the ground. And the birds flock around him, and at this point they realize uh why court gave him the breadcrumbs is because they they want to feed him to the birds basically like and, and I don't know yeah. if this is and I was I was trying to think of different metaphors that would go with this and to me it's almost like you're committing his soul to the wind, which, you know, birds would sort of represent. And then the crow is more of a even more dramatic symbol of, of death and, and uh, destruction and darkness and so on. And it is a gallow. So uh, to me, maybe dragging the crows into this and the birds around him sort of makes it feel like 
like some sort of a, almost a religious experience every time you do this and to really bring the kids home with like this is how someone dies and their death is is simply them dying and like the world moving on and birds running away with their bits and pieces and like uh, flying off and you think it's going to get really deep but it doesn't because Rowan yeah, like I was- Oh, so I was good. wondering if it's just like they're tracking the birds so that the birds will like start feasting on his dead body. Yeah, that's that's basically it. So they're they're committing him to the wind, and like gotcha. the crows specifically, like are a symbol of you know death and and darkness and so on. I mean, not always crows aren't always that way, but in in this case, the crows are kind of ominous. It's like uh. you know, like a buzzard floating around, and you know, like the man in black, a crow. You know, and then, you know, ah. and the, the crow symbol has already showed up a couple times in the book. You know, you have the guy uh, with uh, what was the name of the the uh, Zoltan, the mm-hmm. crow that was just like hanging out over him, like kind of like making him work and toil in this farm. And, and so, I, I mean, you're kind of getting that again. And and what is the man in black, if not like a black crow that flies, flies over and drops a shadow across your soul, you know? Yeah, uh, maybe not. I'm, uh, that's probably a reach. But no, no, you, no. I, I was actually in my head. I'm like, what is the etymology for something for the saying for the birds? I wonder if that's like yeah, for the birds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you say like, ah, it's for the birds. Like, yeah. is that is I'm going to have to Google that later. <laughs> yeah, put, you, uh, put you on your assignment for next week. So yeah. <laughs> they do the bird thing. They do the b- breadcrumbs. And the last thing before they leave the gallows, Roland uh, goes and he pulls a splinter of wood off of the, the gallows stand and puts it in his pocket. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny here because it's like Roland in his own sort of description of himself. He's like, I wish I had something really clever to say, like the luck of the gallows or something like that. But instead, I just, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't really have a good answer when Cuthbert asks him why he did it. And Cuthbert it sort of feels like he's in shock too, but he's trying to convince himself that like this was a good this was a good thing this is a hmm. this is a good hanging like uh, everything went great you know and at the beginning as Roland's describing Cuthbert he started out by making him sound like oh this poor sap he's bound to be like a, a sissy boy who ends up taking care of like rich diplomats and like looking into crystal balls and then when <laughs> when Cuthbert like sort of sort of mans up and says like oh yeah this death was is good death is it's nice that he murdered you know that they hug him and then roland like changes his outlook on cuthbert and says well maybe this guy could be a hard gunslinger after all and then roland says you know but he won't be like me because i'm destined for the flatlands and riding in 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 the country yeah. <laughs> and then roland reflects on this and is like you know i was destined for that but that was yeah, really unfortunate to <laughs> such a horrible fate and and I thought that was really interesting. So yeah. that basically, unless you have anything else to add on that, that wraps up the say, flashback. I would just say I think it's really interesting the before and after of Cuthbert and um, and Roland to the hanging. Like before the hanging, Cuthbert is like having second thoughts. He's really freaked out. Um, I feel like Roland, on the other hand, is a little more stoic, but really like feeling the gravity of what he has been a part of. Like he's much more introspective about it. And Cuthbert is freaking out. And then after the fact, I didn't actually take it like, um, Cuthbert was like, I feel like he was kind of surprised and maybe a little like, as he, you know, you know, kind of maybe felt weird about saying like, Like, I I, I kind of liked it. Nice. 
<laughs> right, right. And so it, ultimately the person that was like the most freaked out before it at the end kind of came away from it being the most satisfied, like actually finding some satisfaction in it yeah. and enjoying the death. So I don't know. That was just, to me, I was just, those were interesting sort of um, character moments that I that I think well, I, I need to reflect on this later on when we get more of Cuthbert and see how maybe it for, informs his character later on. I think I daydream too much while I'm listening to these and I start like <laughs> imagining a world where things are happening that aren't described in the book and I start relating things that maybe I'm, uh, might be a stretch. <laughs> I, this is just my interpretation. Like I'm not saying I'm right. I just, that was the way I took it was that he was just kind of like, I, I kind of liked it, you know, that was, <laughs> it's kind of hot. Nice. So right. we jump out of the this uh, um, this like flashback of Roland's history, and we move forward uh, to Jake and Roland again at the present day. And basically, this sort of wraps up the end of chapter yeah. two. They're they're still kind of like struggling to keep up. The the man in black suddenly like before where he was sort of moving slow is now seeming to advance at a much faster rate into the mountains. Well, they now can actually see him for the first time. Yeah, in the past, like they've seen remnants, and it felt like felt like they were a little fresher. But now they can actually see him up ahead on the mountain. Um, and he disappears and- up into the clouds. Yes. Yeah. Like, sort of, what kind of mountains are these? That you know, the, and they they describe the Men in Black's progress up the mountain as though like almost like he jumps, you know, and like yeah. he, he like flies from one side to the other, and like it gets up there without you know any effort or hesitation, and yeah. then it cuts back to Roland and and uh, Jake is like sort struggling of struggling away, away you know, like, <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Like this is tough, guys. Going up a mountain sucks. Yeah, yeah. Like he almost, it's like he's a platform, it's like a platformer game, and he's just like, bloop, 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 bloop. But what I think the most important thing here, aside from the fact that, oh my God, they're seeing him for the first time, is like the internal stuff that's happening with Roland. Yeah. Um, he talks about how at the, up until this point, he's felt like this urge like this panicked urge to like constantly be on the trail that it might this guy might slip away between his fingers basically um and now that he's there with jake and he can see him in the distance he's actually feeling some ambivalence about catching up with him because of the fact that he's attached to this kid and he knows that it cannot cannot end well it's not going to end well right if this is a trap what we know about the man in black's traps is they don't end super well so he kind of is like trying to figure out like this mission that he's been on, you know, he's having some ambivalence about it. And that's, it's pretty big for old Roland. I mean, who is so singularly driven as we learned from the flashback when we learned about his character, like he's not the fastest, he's not the smartest, he's not the quickest wit, but he's the most determined and the most just like, terminator about it so for him to be having (laughs) some ambivalence about it is like you know that's a pretty that's a big that's a big move in his character and uh, and it's it's probably something for readers to be like "Uh uh-oh and the, the whole love thing too. I mean, even in the town of Toll, when they when he was with Allie, like he was a f- fearful that Allie was the trap, and it turned yeah. out it, that wasn't the case. But that sort of like getting into a relationship or finding someone you really care about 
or you know really wanting to be around someone and that's the whole whole trap here and and they've kind of alluded yeah. to that early on that like that was Roland's one weakness is you know love for another person or caring about yeah. another person and i mean uh, this is a big old softy this will be can continue to be a theme even though this guy's like a badass gunslinger uh, yeah. he'll find people that he really cares about and like then things will go sideways and it's I mean, I guess it's the continual hero struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll leave you there because yep. uh, it's pretty easy to to move on to the next uh, oh, bits. It was so hard to stop today. I, I know. Like, I almost oh. I almost dove into the next. I mean, I, okay, I did dive into the next chapter, but I almost jumped to the you know like <laughs> what's next, and I just I didn't want to do it in the yeah. cast. So that's it for the the yeah. synopsis, Rachel. Overall what do you, thoughts? I I am. I'm liking this as much as I did when I first went through it, and, and I'm not joking. This, this chapter two, I, I did uh, a good solid four four rounds wow. of it. So I, I wanted to like absorb every little bit, and for a while I was I was driving at work, so I you know I was listening to this and kind of like zoning out on the road and thinking about the characters and imagining yeah. the locations. Uh, I like it a lot. I know you're not as excited about the the like sort of um knights and castles type of stuff that the gunslinger yeah. world has but it, do you think it adds to the uh character of this i feel like a little ch- chastened by it because like you and i after talking about it i, I realize that i'm doing myself a disservice by not like really because there's actually some really good stuff here yeah um i think i just was impatient to get to i want to I just really want to hear what's happening with the man in black and them on the road, but slowing down and like doing this character work. When we start talking about how like it, like the childhood mirrors, Jake, like all that stuff. So interesting. Uh, I mean, I love this book. I'm having so much fun with it. I love all the language and I love the, the, just like the mental picture of the way station being so creepy and like hiding this like dank, hidden root cellar at the bottom full of mutated spiders and demons and stuff. <laughs> I just, I love all of that, like second layer. Uh, st- uh, yeah. So I really enjoyed this. I'm going to, I'm going to be better in the future about, <laughs> about the flashbacks. We'll be prepared be for tons asshole. of freaking flashbacks because uh, if, the gunslinger is, if nothing else, a series of many, 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 <laughs> many, many flashbacks. Okay. Well, I'm guessing there'll be some, our next chapter for the next show we're going to do, I, I thought the the full chapter worked well. What about you? Yeah. Did it seemed like too much or did, was yeah, it okay? No, I think that's just about right. Uh, yeah. Now these shows, as we do them guys, are going to be, uh, pretty long because we're covering a lot of material but yeah. imagine listening to the chapter or reading the chapter you're, you're talking a, a very substantial amount of of, of pageage so to yeah speak. So, <laughs> so hopefully we cover it but we don't dive too deep into the minutiae and we definitely try to cover all the really cool stuff so yeah. hopefully that works and feel free to send input on what yes. you like to hear and, and if you don't like us covering deep dives into like the psychological well-being of roland and jake 
week. Oh, then. but that's the good stuff. <laughs> exactly. So are you well, ready for What the- I'd like to know is if we missed anything that was really important or we got something like you have a different interpretation of something Absolutely. than we did. I would love to hear that because this is the that's the stuff I geek out over. I want to like I want to do the deep dive. Well, you so- and I are just backyard psychologists here. You know? like, <laughs> we don't really yeah. we're not pros or anything. So no. if you have a, a better take on this, guys, feel free to send it in. We'd love to read it and check it out. And if we yes. like it, we'll even maybe uh, put it in the show notes or uh, talk about it on the show. Oh, we'll talk about it on the show. You know we will. <laughs> so are you ready for the spoilers? Yeah, I think so. Like, Oh, let's really quickly. So next week or in two weeks from now, we're going to talk about Chapter 3, all yeah. of Chapter 3, the Oracle and the Mountains. So, so we've got to get that out there for people who want to duck out over the spoilers. That's the plan for next week. Be prepared for some sexiness. Oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So spoilers from this point on. We're going to talk about connections to the Stephen King universe. So this may be spoilers for other books as well as potential spoilers for future books in this this series. So you have been warned. Now, go away. See you in a couple weeks. (laughs) All right. So connections in the Stephen King universe. Again, we're since it's early on, I'm doing kind of the higher level ones. We'll get more into the minutiae as we go forward. But this time I just kind of want to talk about a couple of characters, Roland and Jake, and how they tie into the larger Stephen King universe. I'm not going to go super deep into this, but it's always fun to just see like what footprints they have in other books. So Roland is Stephen King's, he's described the Roland and his world as sort of like, his Jupiter, basically everything else revolves around these books and this character. And so there are a lot of places that Roland affects other stories or stand in like Twinners, which is something we've talked a lot about in the past uh, of Roland will show up. You'll find direct references to Roland to Shane in the Black House, Hearts in Atlantis and Insomnia, where his like he gets name checked or it's very clear that they're talking about him. There's also a lot of indirect references to him. There's one in Cell where the character is a comic book artist who is writing a comic called the dark wanderer about like a a western wasteland type of thing and you know there's a west there's like a cowboy guy in it named ray ray damon who is basically like a stand-in for roland deshane same initials like it's clearly Uh. a reference to that as far as there's one easter egg that's specifically in a movie did you ever see the mist Yes, I did. The black and white version, way better than the color version. Really? I mean, because the one thing about The Mist that's, that I did not like is the CGI is pretty, pretty Shippy. bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I personally love the fucked up ending of that movie. <laughs> but if you watch that movie, at the very beginning, the main character, Dave Drayton, is painting. And he's actually painting a portrait of Roland and the Dark Tower. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's a little fun little Easter egg. Um, Then there's a handful more references to him in other books, but it's actually under an alias that we will touch on, I think, when we get to a place where he, like, takes that name. Okay. Um, Yeah. Like, there's a lot of Will Dearborn stuff, but we'll talk about (laughs) that later. The other person I want to talk about was Jake. He is someone that is mentioned – he shows up in Black House, which is – very much tied to these books it's actually the book that links talisman and and the dark towers and people there's some people speculate that he's the twinner of jake Sar sawyer who is the main character of those books but there's some disagreement about whether or not jake sawyer even has twinners and if that's why he's able to like slip through the different worlds but whatever um and he's also 
uh, people believe he also, Jake is also a twinner of Bobby Garfield, who is the boy from Hearts in Atlantis. Huh. Yeah. So those are those are our connections to the Stephen, Unico- Stephen King universe. You almost I, said unicorn. I, I did, yeah. <laughs> and in my brain, I also started thinking about Steven Universe. Like it was, yeah, it was kind of a mess. <laughs> uh, All cool. right. So those are our connections this time. Now, what about movie news? Well, there's not much in the way of movie news. Are you kidding me? You were super excited when we started. Well, you were like, you're jumping up and down about this. Is this- Well, keep Give me a minute here. Okay. So, all right. So because there was no movie news, I had to start digging. And one of the places that I was like really focusing on was that Sombra Group app that I told you about last time. Um, I found out that there is a Sombra Group website. That if you go on there, there's not much there. It's mostly just like an like an advertisement to, to go to the app store. Yes. But it's one of the things that you can point the 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 um ncp scanner thing at and it it like creates a portal and like you can hear the toe dash chimes and oh nice yeah it's pretty cool right and then i also discovered another website uh called the it's the tet corporation it's tet dash corporation i'll put this in the show notes that takes you to a website for the tet corporation which is sort of the opposing corporation that i like yes and it has like the the turtle and the rose and the logo and it's kind of fun it has like a map of the u.s and you can see like different places that have significance in the books like topeka is in there and it looks like the like the brightest one on the map is in new jersey which i guess is where the books start or something i don't really know um so i mean there's probably a lot to be mined here if you can remember all of it but as we're just starting to go back into these i don't know all the significance of it so it, it's cool it's fun and it's the stuff we talked about how like the augmented reality sort of marketing that's fun all right <laughs> they so also that's cool. if you go to their twitter account uh you can buy uh corporation t-shirts that have the turtle uh, on the, the rose <laughs> the tech corporation it's kind of cute so yeah it's cool really fun uh, so is that it for the uh, no. uh okay well that's how i it leads into this other oh. thing. this is the beginning this is not this is the stuff that's kind of like oh that's fun this is where it gets cool <laughs> so if you go to the sombragroup.com you will get that thing i told you about where you get to the app okay but if you go to sombragroup.com it's very different <laughs> this isn't so, important is it <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> fooled you. <laughs> Very different. no. Holy whoa! Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So, um, and I'm gonna put all of this into the links or whatever in our show notes. It's like a fuzzy screen, and then um, like uh, there's chimes, and then um, some music starts, and I like I shazammed it because it's 2010, and <laughs> I. <laughs> found out the song is um big iron by marty robbins and it's like all the song about like a gunslinger basically but if you keep listening to it the music slows down then it plays backwards and it like there's these weird chimes that happen and it's really creepy sounding and then at the end this voice comes in and it's super creepy sounding (laughs) and it says help me help we need help help me and then it starts all over again. And so then I started like playing around, like trying to figure out it doesn't have the Sony pictures 
Like, it's not created by Sony Pictures, like all of the other marketing stuff around it. So I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I'm like looking around in it. And in the source code, there's like a video, right? Yeah. So this is where I said when I went down a lit- like a literal rabbit hole. So I'm going to put the link in here and I'll put this in the show notes as well. You can take a look at this. So, and it's going to, music's going to start again. I apologize. But it is this super fucking creepy video of like of uh alice in wonderland and it has like the music playing over it and every time she like goes through a door it starts to play backwards and it's got like weird text all over on the screen Alice dreams that she sees the white rabbit and follows him down the rabbit hole into the hall of many doors (laughs) this is weird yeah and like at the end when the cheshire cat is on the screen that's when it starts being like help me so you can if you skip to the end holy crap this is uh, about five minutes long folks yeah so if you skip to the end, you can to like about four fifty. Yeah, I see her. She's like reaching for the cat. Can you hear it? And the cat's like kind of meowing, like help me. Oh, it's so creepy. So, so I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is super weird, right? So I start looking around, and I find out there's a second website. And if you go to northcentralpositronicsltd.com, there's another super fucking weird website. Okay, so in this one, it's like this sort of room that's in ruins and there's like a tv guide on a chair it looks like something out of fallout and there's like an old-time tv with this cartoon of like like uh the atomic bomb and how you have to be afraid of of radiation but then it's set to weird science by oingo boingo and i would think (laughs) like maybe that's not related it's just something weird but there is some text that is written in the script of gilead along the bricks at the bottom and then there's like some text on the side about playing cards in the dark tower. I don't know if I'm looking at the right one, but I just I I went to northcentralpositronics.com and I get to I travel. Uh, you know, it's one of the question, one of the po- or one of the the riddles from oh. later on is like listed right there on the main page. So I, I so may put have the link, put the link to what you're looking at because this may tie in. Okay. Okay. We just like oh LTD okay so yeah. I just went to northcentralpositronics.com and that one has another set of links that's to the darktowers.net darktower uh, uh, Stephen King oh yeah this one looks a little more straightforward like, oh, well it looks a little little geocities yeah little geocities <laughs> these are a little more advanced download application from blank and then it just has like a little arrow on yeah. it like what the yeah sure i'll <laughs> click on you link seems like a, okay. a reasonable idea do you want my credit card number <laughs> okay so do you see the north central positronics ltd thing yeah i'm looking at it right now it's super creepy right yeah with the eye and the tv and the yeah. like little symbol for an atomic atom in the guy's eye yeah or gal's eye yep eyeball of you know is that Jeff Goldblum on the on the tv guide cover i know well i was wondering if it was the same guy that sings the song from the first one that i showed you the somber one okay so then i started googling so i'm like what the fuck is going on is this a part of it it was like founded on the date two days after the movie was announced, whatever. So I was like, oh, maybe they are linked. So I went deeper into the into the Reddits and I discovered what this is, is a Dark Tower ARG okay. that has been going on for years. But it like disappeared, like it was going on in 2003. Then there was one in like 2011. And then they like kind of wrapped up and went away. And 
then with the release of the movie, basically whoever is making these started it again. Hmm. So this is the new trailhead. If you are into ARGs and you're into the Dark Tower, this is going to be fucking dope. So I was reading the Reddit about previous ones, and it sounds super cool. Like you converse over email with like Richard Sayer or with Randall Flagg, and you get phone numbers that you can call. And someone was saying that Richard Sayer was looking at their LinkedIn profile, and they get emails over like riddles over emails, and you have to solve these vi- things that I showed you are like puzzles, basically, yeah. that need to be solved, which I thought was so cool and fun. I've never done one of these, so I'm like kind of considering giving this a go. It sounds like exactly the geeky thing I would be into. <laughs> well, so, you do all the work and tell me how it turns out, because I'm one of those guys <laughs> that likes to watch another person play the video game, but I'm not uh-huh. so into the, the the playing myself, you know? Okay. <laughs> Especially when it gets into puzzles, because while I, I'm not completely ignorant of the world, I'm not that great at some of the more obvious puzzles, and I'll get stuck on mm-hmm. the easy stuff. So uh, it's always better to watch someone else like go through and figure it all out and then tell you about their adventure. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was such a weird thing to stumble on. Yeah. And then at the end when the voice is like, help me, it's just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody out there is doing this and wants to talk about it, I am very interested. Because this is like the geeky rabbit hole that I like live for. So, so uh, one last thing before we go, just because okay. now you got me doing it. Did you ever, <laughs> as a kid, uh, just type in a word and put .com in front of it? No. <laughs> like uh, when I was when I was young and I was on uh, uh, dial-up internet of fourteen four modem, I. Uh, it used to be really cool to just like type in a word, uh, one single word. You'd think of like a word you thought had a lot of meaning to it, and then Butthole. you would, dot yeah, com. then you just <laughs> com at it and like go, and uh, you know that's where you find out stuff like whitehouse dot dot com. I think is a porn site, and I mean some of these other ones that are like really surprising. So if you get bored and you're not at work, you know it's really fun to just type in like different words and you know i I do not condone anything you find or or even recommend it if you're getting really obscure with the words but sometimes you'll find something pleasant like flash animation that's cute little stories and sometimes you'll just find squatters sitting on really random crap so (laughs) (laughs) okay this is how old i am i'm gonna totally out myself as being a million years old but i can remember doing a version of this but with the phone like you would we would put 1-800 and then type out a word using you know because old school phones had like letters on there right so like we would type in words like hot butt or something you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) and try to find numbers and it was always sex lines but we would try to come up with like the funniest sex lines that we could so that was sort of my version of that back in the I guess like the nineties, early nineties. And I, I get, I didn't do the phone freaking thing very much, but uh, my age, we were still dialing up to to download pages of the manual from certain video games so that you could enter in the word. Because you, you know, um, and I don't think it was StarQuest, but there's a few games back then where to like unlock the game once you bought it. You had to go to the manual and it would give you a random page and tell you like the third sentence down. Type in the first word in the sentence. And that was how you unlock the game. Oh, okay. Oh my god. I wonder if there's like still somewhere people are in like Yahoo chat rooms. Yeah, I know, right? Or, <laughs> like, what's your what's your AOL screen name? I'll catch up with you later. You know, <laughs> age, sex, location. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <yes, no, yes, laughs> no. 
<laughs> oh man. Okay, we are so all right. All right. <laughs> we are old. On that Let's, note, we probably past our bedtime. It's so. about time for us to head out. Rachel, do you have anything else before we wrap this up? No, I'm just I had a lot of fun. I look forward to doing this again. All right, guys, we'll see you next week on another cast of Ka. <laughs> Bye, everybody. To the town of Alfrey who rode a stranger one fine day. Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. It was early in the morning when he rode into the town. He came riding from the south side, slowly looking all around. He's an outlaw loose and running, came the whisper from each lip. And he's here to do some business with a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip.